thick briars, swamps, uh, thorns, uh, mosquitoes with three different triple E diseases, ticks with Lyme disease, uh, large snakes, uh, uh, fisher cats. Um, um, you know, they say, you know, sparrows the size of spitfires. And it listened to me. It walked out of the thicket. It turned around and looked at me. They looked up, and in this tree, there was a monkey man. And the monkey man jumped down out of the tree and started running away. And suddenly, they're right in front of the car. He slams on the brakes and manages to stop. And he's skidding, as if I'm quite, you know, um, graveling. And for literally for about a second and a half, they just stood there because they don't know where to go. And you tell them panicking, you know, like roof nothing. Their, their, their face is like twitching. to Bigfoot Society, a podcast where we focus on cryptids, the strange, and the unexplained of this world. If you've got a story or something weird to share, send an email over to me at bigfootsociety at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support this show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the Bigfoot Society. And now, on with the show. All right, Bigfoot Society, I've got the privilege of talking to Mr. John Horgan uh, today, and uh, I've been looking forward to this one for sure. Uh, We're uh, mutual. Well, we're both friends uh, with Alex Petikoff. So uh, I was like, Alex, who do do I want to interview next? And he's like, you got to talk to John because it's going (laughs) to blow your mind. So, John, you've been involved with the paranormal You've been investigated for 30 plus years. You've been in local access TV, radio, all over the place. What do the listeners need to know about you to paint the picture before we get into it? I guess when I married my wife, she didn't realize that three of my other personalities were waiting for us down in the car. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess just to start off, Alex Petikoff, I consider him to be a good friend. Mm. Uh, One of the greatest filmmakers of our time. Mm. So gifted at such a young age. And what he's done the past few years during COVID in terms of Bigfoot investigations, thorough, scientific, fact-based approach, I think he's done uh, the study, um, a good service. So I'm proud, uh, to, to be a friend of his and he, a friend of mine. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess to answer your question, uh, I guess it was 1989 when I heard unsolved mysteries. Well, let me back up in search of, I'm, I'm an old man in search of Leonard Nimoy, the Patterson Gimlin film. There you go. Okay. Blew me away as a kid. Uh, to this day, they tried to put four people in the costume. Just deal with it, accept it as authentic. That's the way I do it. I move on. I've already accepted that. I've spoken with Bob Gimlin. I got to hang out with him. So to me, it's I, I no longer even debate it. It's dice, that it's an ape, ape-like creature. Uh, it's a footage. There's nobody in a costume. Deal with it. But that happened when I watched In Search of. And then um, I read a story about Ape Canyon, about uh these alleged, I like to use the term man beast anthropoids, attacked this cabin in 1924 in Mount St. Mm. Helens. And then, of course, the UFO stories, right? Um, I read in the early 80s about the uh, 
encounters in upstate New York. And then Roswell, it came onto my radar in uh, a book that I got in 1982. Uh, UFO Crash at Roswell was the first uh, first book ever put out by Bill Moore um, with help by Charles Berlitz. And I thought that how can a UFO crash come across the universe and crash into the side of a mountain. And I, I said, either there's no UFO crashes or there's a litany. So I, I've tried to quit Roswell, but I went the deep dive, um, visiting Roswell three times, talking to all the witnesses, the original witnesses, oh. not the people who backdated themselves into the story. And uh, I made friends with a guy named Don Keating in central Ohio, who's been investigating Bigfoot since the late 70s. I mean, he's, he's the real deal. And um, getting involved with some of the encounters that he was having in Coshocton County in uh, eastern Ohio. And to me, the unexplained, the paranormal, uh, the unknown, and even divine mysteries have always been, uh, makes this world just out of reach. Uh, it, it's beyond normality. And, and I like to say that, that we have to understand that we may not be able to understand. And I pinched that from Jacques Vallée, the French UFO researcher. And since that time, you know, people laugh about Bigfoot. I've never seen one. I've never heard one. I've interacted with some of the great researchers. But I've, I believe in people who said that they've encountered Bigfoot. Okay, I've seen if the if I could act like they did, the tears in the eyes of some of these people and being so sincere, sincere. I wish I had that acting ability, but they're not acting. They're telling the truth and they're continually mm. consistent. So it's time to ex accept these people have heard something out back, right? Or they found um, uh, footprints or scat or hair uh, or something howling, glowing eyes. I believe in all of that. And moreover, with so many more cell phone cameras available, you're getting more footage. Um, there's a guy, Todd Standing. Have you heard of him? I Everybody's, have. Yeah. Everybody, oh, he's a hoaxer. No, 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 no. He's remote. He's making a connection with something way out in the bush. Okay. And there are certain people, for whatever reason I can't explain, that have a connection with this phenomena, that this phenomena tends to exhibit itself more to them than opposed to mundane John, you know? So I, I just run the gambit and I walked away from it as the internet came around in the late 90s. I figured I was I was the uh, wolf uh, howling at the grapes, just out of reach. I'm never gonna find an answer. <laughs> and and I remember driving out of Roswell my, for my final time in 1997 at the 50th anniversary saying, you know, if they disclose UFOs exist, it won't even make the news. And that happened in December of 2017 when the Navy came out with all this, this footage. Oh yeah. And nobody nobody could even bat an eye out. So what? And I've accepted it. Um, to me, it, it's not if. Uh, the question is who, where, and I guess how. Um, and then uh, that, that it's an expansive universe uh, that we're in. And moreover, we don't know about our own mud ball, and there are vast tracts of land that are uninhabited. And a creature such a bipedal entity like this, it could, to get away from the human being, it could go way into an area where we couldn't live because these things, they run faster than humans. Uh, their, their, their senses, or the smell, hearing uh, or, or uh, eyesight is just phenomenal, uh, non-human in our in our sense. So, I can accept that that these beings, whatever they are, are far advanced. And tell you what, I said this uh, twenty eight years ago, and I'll tell you, they didn't catch one then, and they're not going to catch one. 
Nope. Do you think we'll never catch one? Nope. Wow. Nope. Nope. I just think it's you would have caught one by now. And then we had the uh, the who were the 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 the, the hoaxers from the Minnesota Iceman up until who was the guy there did it twice and people fell for it twice. Uh, the guy who said in Florida he had a Bigfoot corpse. I forget Todd. No. Oh, uh, well, this is gonna get me in trouble because I'm gonna. <laughs> Maybe either way, it, but do you it, know uh, what I'm saying? Uh, I'm just gonna. Randomly yeah. throw out names. Tom, at Tom Biscardi, Tom. right? There you go. There you okay, go. Okay, yep. there we go. Yep. I was mm-hmm. like, is it Dyer, Biscardi? <laughs> so so I think Biscardi's research is pretty good. Okay. But I think that that whole thing was a circus act. He might have been duped by somebody. But whenever I hear they they found a body, I say two words. Yeah, right. You know? mm. uh, I just don't, don't think it. They'll find hair samples, um, close encounters, but it's just – it's too elusive – and that begs the question. I mean, I don't want to uh, tick off the flesh and blooders, but um, after reading about Skinwalker Ranch, the book by Colm Kelleher oh, in 2006, yeah. and seeing mm-hmm. this hairy creature come out of a light portal. The portal, yes. And, the, and, and Stan uh, Gordon, who's one of my heroes, Stan with the Westmoreland Encounters yeah. of 1973 in Western Pennsylvania. Chestnut Ridge, yeah. Freaky, okay, and that's it's associated with strange lights. So I don't know how the 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 uh, the phenomena is intertwined, but I believe Stan's research. He's a just the facts type of guy. I believe Alex's research, uh-huh. Don Keating's research, um, and all the great researchers that I got to meet, like um, uh, uh, Renee De Hinden, uh, Grover Krantz. Uh, Peter Byrne, who I interviewed extensively, and John Green, who I got to stay at his house. And wow. Green, I got to I got to thumb through his card index, really, um, and look at all of it. Yeah, so I, I was very blessed. But I believe in the phenomena. I'm not one who goes out in the woods. I'm a hotel guy. Okay. Uh, I need a CPAP, but I'll, I'll go camping. But I when these guys, these deep hunters, go deep into the woods, like Alex is a perfect example. He'll go into the interior, these remote areas, to where there's a known history. And listen and set up camp, and I think that that he's he's again doing this uh, this science, and that's what it is. It is a science uh, that he's doing it a, a good service, and um, I, I think that the evidence that he's brought back is key. Um, and he's gone to these hot spots. He's released. Uh, he did something when he went to the Colorado incident. He showed me something that never made his doc mm. about some creature banging on the side of a camper and then showing this entity run away. It was kind of spooky. This family had been reporting interacting with, with this creature. And um, I, I think the BFRO, I know I'm rambling here, but the BFRO, I had a run in with Matt Moneymaker oh, in, did 19, in 1996. Really? So two years oh, yeah. after he recorded the Ohio howl. Correct. That's but, wild. but, but he's a cool dude. I think his show is awesome. Right. What was it? Finding Bigfoot. Yeah, I mean, I I knew that would be a hit. I saw the first show, and I said, "This is going to be a hit." And what he's done, okay, uh, by plotting all the areas where the sightings have been and categorizing them, right? Mm. I think it's real cool. That that to me, we're getting closer to an answer. We may not get the final final answer, but at least we're getting clues. And now we're 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 gathering the information of where the hotspots are. And I believe this is my theory that Bigfoot sightings of the past are in the same area of today and will be in the same areas in the future, if that makes any sense. Why do you think that is? 
I just think that, that there's been a tradition of wild mm-hmm. man. If you look at the newspaper clippings from the 19th century, I love old Bigfoot reports like oh, yeah. pre, pre John Green, pre the term Bigfoot, right? I mean, that whole story in itself. Um, I had some run-ins with Ray Wallace back in the day in, okay. uh, in the 90s, and I got a box full of letters that I showed Alex. And he was um, he was battling dementia, I think, because he was saying that a million people visited his petting zoo and that he was in a tree when a Bigfoot came up and just um, telling some, some tall tales. Wow. And that he was responsible for all of the footprints. That's like those two old guys in England being responsible for all the crop circles. That's BS. No. So, um, but, but all the investigations of the Pacific Northwest before that trappers moving West, uh, as they appropriated lands from the native Americans, they would encounter these wild men. And there are periodicals from the 1840s, fifties and sixties, and even new, in new England, uh, stating that oh, there's yeah. some sort of creature there. So it, it's not a hoax. It's not Ray Wallace. It's not a misidentification. It's not a big ha ha. There's something out there. We just don't know what it is. And it's been around for hundreds of years in different areas. And not it's not just native to the Northwest and British Columbia or the Himalayas. Absolutely. Or Australia. It's it's seen everywhere. And I'm sure some places in Rhode Island it's been seen. So <laughs> it's, it's it's I'm sure I'm sure somewhere in Rhode Island. <laughs> Definitely. And there are a lot of yeah. and Jeremiah, a lot of people don't want to come forward. Because they're scorn and ridicule. Oh, I know. You know. I mean, how about me, Catholic? I believe God, Jesus Christ, and I believe in Bigfoot. Sure. How about me? Have some feeling for me, and I believe in <laughs> UFOs, right? I'm right. trying to work out the equation, but I've talked to too many people that have had firsthand encounters or seen something or heard something or had the smell, saw the eyes, felt being watched, and they're not lying. This happened to them. Um Quick story. I was at Don Keating's conference. I spoke there, God, 13 years ago. Big hunter. He's 6'6". He's in the camera. He's got char, uh, chewing tobacco. And he's bumping me, like physical, like, hey, uh, Bigfoot. Huh? And I'm saying, like, what's this dude? Dude's going to clock me or something and have beer. And then I said, dude, what's your problem? You know, he said, well, I've seen one, I think. And I know the woods. And he went on and on. And he had tears in his eyes. This big, huge hunter. And I told him that you're not alone, man. And, and you're like, you're saying, why me? And it just happened. You're, you call, call it a privilege, right, that you encountered this phenomena. Um, and I know it changed your life and you're a hunter, but there may be stuff that you can't figure out. And then he, you know, he dedicated his life to chasing this thing. And I told him, you're chasing stars, man. I mean, you'll get close to it. But if you're going out there with your gun, this thing's going to skedaddle, get out of there, you know. And I, I think somehow – and this is me now reaching that these have these entities have some sort of telepathic ability. Okay. They, they know if you're armed. They know if you're a danger. They can sense it. Maybe they can smell the, 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 the pheromones or the fear on, on you that, hmm. you know, you, you have uh, intentions of malice. I don't know. I'm just guessing. But it, it's still a, a peculiar phenomenon. And I think since COVID, when we were all forced indoors – for three months, right? Stop uh-huh. the spread. But uh-huh. these animal, all wildlife, including bears, encroached into um, uh, populated areas. And that's why you started seeing more videos. And of course, the drones, right? When you're going up and seeing the drone footage, and I'm seeing exactly. this creature run, that's not a kid in the costume. If it is, come out and say that you got us, you know, you hoaxed us. Good for you, you know? <laughs> so it, it, it's such a wild phenomena. And, and I've, I can't get my arms around all the sightings. I don't know what the the, the latest uh, dig is in Bigfoot news, what the hot sighting is, who's claiming what. I just know that there's something to it. 
something that I can't understand. And there are much, much uh, better researchers out there than I am that could find answers or at least draw us closer to the truth. Boy, that was a long answer, wasn't it, for one question, bro? Well, you know, that's awesome because I'm just going to let him go and let's yep. get it all Riff. out. Um, yep. There's a lot to unpack from that. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, you're, t- you're talking about what is Bigfoot. And have you come to grips with what you think the creature is or is it something where it's, it's all sorts of different things? What, what do you think Bigfoot is? Um, both the former and the latter of what you said. So maybe I thought, well, is it a rip in time and space, right? Um, somehow a portal and the inverse must be true. If this is from prehistoric times, right? Or Australopithecus or whatever, that some man in a business suit walking on Wall Street somehow transported back in time and Tyrannosaurus Rex is nipping at his butt as he runs with his briefcase. Don't know. Is it UFO related? Is it interdimensional? Um, is it flesh and blood or is it a combination of the three? I know that it's flesh and blood because it leaves, it's been shot and left blood behind, hair, footprints. But how did it get there and how does it evade gunfire? I know they say a grizzly bear has never been found or whatever in the in the wild dead. Um, but I'm wondering what type of creature it is. And as I said, back to my opening remark, they've never caught one. They never will. Very interesting. That that is very interesting. Uh, I agree. I think it's a creature that, you know, there's so many different animals in the world that can do things that we can't really explain. What's to say there's not a creature that can do some weird stuff? Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. And would you run away from humans if I was a creature? I would. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Because all they do is, all they do is kill and consume and lie. Exactly. You, and I wanted to clarify something. So you said you primarily have been talking to people that have experienced Bigfoot, investigators, things of that nature. Uh, I just wanted to make sure. So you've it, it hasn't really been your MO to go out looking or to have an encounter yourself. Have you ever wanted to have that encounter, though? Um, part of me says no and not a UFO count, encounter, even though I've done all the UFO hotspots, because – that would confirm my my suspicions. Uh, it, I guess it would be, but there there are people that are that are well equipped, uh, better trackers than I ever could hope to be. Uh, that know how to. Alex is one of them, and 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 all the guys in the BFRO. Uh, somebody like me, you know, I'm a city slicker, right? Um, what could I add to that? I w- I could analyze the footage and listen to their story. And add that into my library. Okay, that I can relate that case to this case to this case. And I do like to correlate data taken from different sightings, whether they were 10 years ago or uh, 50 years ago, and see how they fit. I mean, the glowing eyes are consistent, right? The pungent smell is consistent. The tracks, the hair, the idea of being watched, right? Mm. The howl, wood on wood, chest thumping. I mean, all of them, it's consistent over the last 200 years. So, um, people just can't say it was made up in 1959 by Jerry Crew and John Green exploited it, and or that somebody jumped in a costume in October 1967. It, right? Come on, it, it, they're talking from an uninformed position. It's one thing if you study it, uh, like that Michael Shermer skeptic. His act is so tired. Um, he just summarily dismiss, uh, dismisses any Bigfoot encounter and can't even really relate one and dispute it. So it's just those people I don't have time for. 
Um, you don't know what you're talking about. I will say the Bigfoot researching community, they eat each other and they fight, boy. Oh, there's a lot of malice there. And that drove me Do out in ever? 1999. Yeah. Do they ever? And, and that's, um, you know, the divisiveness, you'll never solve it. Um, and I'm going to be the one to get the secret. I'm going to get be the secret. I'm going to make a million dollars. No, no, you're not. You're no. not going to make a million dollars. You can do a cool show and get huge views and hits because a lot of um, young males like this topic because they find it curious, just as I did back in, in when I was growing up and seeing the Patterson-Gimlin film. What is that? And then you go back and say, my word, there's been sightings in every state in the United States, Momo in Missouri, you know, mm. Eastern Ohio, Don saw a white Bigfoot and he filmed it inadvertently, <laughs> um, rocks thrown at him, just some weird, wild stuff. And uh, uh, even one of the, the videos, I think that Alex and one of Alex's friends had taken of these glowing red eyes up in the woods. That's freaky stuff, man. It's mm. not an owl. Um, and they're in known areas where there's been activity. And to me, that that makes sense that, yeah, you encountered it. It's staying at arm's length away from you, doesn't know you. It probably knows your intentions, whether they're good or bad, but it's just checking you out. And I've been learning that they do some sort of scouting system, right? Or that, that you'd have a male on a point here. They do quadrants, oh, right? Yeah, uh, up in on terms the of ridge, recon- definitely. Almost military-like, yeah. yeah. Correct, correct. For sure. So, so there's so much for me to learn. There's uh, so many people out there that know much, much more about it. But once upon a time in the 90s, I really knew every historical encounter, whether it was Jacko or, as I mentioned, Ape Canyon, um, the Minnesota Iceman, which I always thought was a fascinating story. And, of course, all the Bigfoot sightings that took place uh, in the 70s and the Sierra Sounds when they first came out. And then, um, again, I salute all of the researchers, including the BFRO, for what they've done. I just, you'll get close, but you'll never catch him. It's like uh, Henry Franzoni says in his book, it's like, you start going down the road to Seattle, you may not come back. You may get a little too crazy, you know, but. uh, He's a cool dude. He did the drama. He is a cool dude, man. Charming for Bigfoot, dude. Yeah, absolutely. I love that documentary. Yeah. I met him back in the mid nineties. You did? Yeah, oh yeah, really? ninety six with Don Keating. I met Renee DeHinden, John Green, Peter oh, wow. Byrne, and Grover Krantz um, during that that time. And um, I met Henry uh, Meldrum. Had just gotten into the field when I met. Yeah. Him. Oh man, you met uh, Meldrum when he was like brand new. Oh man. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and um, I disagree with Jeff on the Snowwalker footage. If you ever want to talk about that, I just. He did that for Paranormal Borderline, I think it was, or Encounters back in the 90s, 96, maybe 97. And he kept trying to get who created that footage. You know the the, the Snowwalker footage I'm talking about? Uh-huh. It's taken in the mountains, and they look down there, and there's something waist high walking through the snow. It's not a dude in a costume. I mean, you get that wet and trying to get down the mountain. They were obviously thousands of feet high. And somebody identified it as the Alps, but Jeff kept hounding them. And finally, the producer said, oh, it's a hoax footage. Just shoo them away. Mm. And I still, I looked at it a couple of weeks ago and I'm saying, uh-uh, I'm not ready to throw that out yet. I'm not ready to call that a hoax. Mm-mm. I mean, and then some of the old, even the Ivan Marks footage is freaky, right? The, with the cone head, right? Jumping oh, around, yeah. this thing jumping around. What's up with that? Paul Freeman, people made fun of him. I think That's if you take a look right at now. His, it's huge. If you, ta- if you take a look at his footage- um, 
to me, that's some really impressive footage. I in back in '95 when the first came out, or even '94, I said, "Whoa, stop! That's there's something to be said about this footage." Again, in a known area with footprints, and then of course on the other side you have hoaxers, right? We talked about uh, I don't know if it was Biscardi. There was another guy that got a Rick something. Can't Rick remember. Dyer. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Dyer, you know what? So that he, there, there you go. So folks, but but who's worse, the pusher or the junkie, right? The the dealer or or the addict. He put out oh, some BS there for you and you and yeah. you ate it up, right? Oh, it's gotta be. And I remember Lauren Coleman and I clashing back in the day. Um, I, I read his book, Mysterious America, by the way, in 1985. So I like read first edition. But I remember clashing when that first came out in 2005, 2006. I'm not sure. Maybe earlier, 2004, saying, oh, look, they found a body. No, 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 no. Time out. You know, uh, penalty flag down. Review flag is down. The red flag. Let's mm. look at this again. Replay. Um, that they've, they've there's so many people that have claimed to have had a body. And they've come up with nothing, not even a limb. Think about this or a finger. Um, I know that uh, in Ohio, um, they found that lair, right? And that people were, were was that Moneymaker or who was the guy? I forget the guy with the lair. It wasn't another guy from Ohio. But I said, you know, before you scoff at it, this makes sense. They got to sleep somewhere, right? Well, true, right? They're mammals, so right. if they have a nest, yeah, I can I can buy into that for sure. So, um, but there's a lot of guys, and I've cracked three hoaxes in my life. Um, Eric Beckard, God rest his soul, or if he's in yep. the other place, yeah, uh, I had epic clashes with him throughout the '90s. Most and, people um, did, from what I hear. Oh yeah, he he got the yeah. FBI after me. I mean, I, I he really didn't get the FBI. Oh How yeah, do, what? I, I was on probation for a year for that. Holy oh, yeah. mackerel. Because what do you do is call it. This is be, just as I had an answering machine. He called me at three in the morning. I'm in Boston. He's in San Francisco. Yep. And I'd curse him up and I'm going to I'm gonna blank you up. I'm coming out there. <laughs> and he turned it over on it. He taped it, turned it over to the FBI. He kept calling the FBI. And the guy was saying, this guy's oh, crazy. No. And so you got to, he says, yeah, yeah I got to prosecute because it's easier on my job. So I got a good lawyer, but it was just such a joke. And um, like I said, when he passed, I I gaslit him. I said that he was still alive. He hoaxed his death, and I got people buying into that for a couple of months that he was in, in England oh faking crop circles. Yeah, but he was a kook, absolute kook, um, and he hoaxed so many things. And then there was uh, a guy by the name of Scott. I won't say his last name from Tennessee, who uh, in '98 said, "Oh, look, I found a Bigfoot tracks along this river." Blah blah blah, and he sent me one. And I took out my Patterson Gimlin cast, and it okay. matches exactly, exactly the exact same thing. Gotcha, yeah, gotcha. Oh Take. wow! And he went silent. And then finally, in two thousand nine, in the Bridgewater Triangle, I conducted tours, and this guy named Jason. Um, once a ghost researcher gets involved with Bigfoot research, believe nothing, okay? Because they live in a world of embellishment, hyperbole, and exaggeration. So and this guy was. Well, hold on. So you, sorry, you're saying. If anyone, ghost researcher or like paranormal researcher, if they get involved with Bigfoot research, could be a red bring, flag. Oh, yeah. They bring along their lady in gray, the lady in black, the lady in blue. They bring along all their ghost hyperbole. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's sure. a huge red flag. Yeah. The, 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 the good Bigfoot researchers, that's their specialty. You know, mm. some of them will go off into the other paranormal, like – 
uh, Coleman's a cryptozoologist. He's the the Jimi Hendrix of cryptozoology, the right. Chuck Berry. You know what I'm saying? Right, I mean, right, he's right. the preeminent cryptozoology. He and Ivan Ivan Sanderson, and then after that, it's it's all about third and fourth place. Um, he he investigates all sorts of of strange creatures, including um, seaborne, oceanborne, and riverborne and lakeborne creatures. Uh. Um, so so, but somebody like this guy, he he called me up before my tour. It was like in August of two thousand nine, and I was going to take a a bus through the Bridgewater Triangle and tell about all the ghost stories, and we can go over all the creatures. Oh yeah, we'll, we will cougars. get there. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and he came back and he said, uh, "Where can I see Bigfoot?" And I said, "Historically, in 1971, Elm Street in Bridgewater, that's where there was a spate of sightings." You know, so he said he went down to Bridgewater. And he comes back with this long cast and his photographs don't even match the cast. Uh And then he went on and I said, I called bull on it. And then he went and saying that I had planted the casts. I'm touring with a basketball team at that point. He's coming back on you. That's oh yeah, funny. saying that I had planted them, planted them for him to find. It's just, <laughs> it's just go away, go. And he wrote, he wrote yeah. a real silly book that had the uh, uh, the grammar of a fifth grader. So it, uh-huh. it's just. And after that, I said, I'm done. You know, I, I made yeah. a foray in. I was just, just, there's too many liars. I'll look at the the video and make my own decision. And now, of course, with CGI, you can make put Bigfoot anywhere. Well, that's the scary thing, man. And it's like there's an AI. There's stuff coming out right now. And I interviewed a guy on my show about AI and it's like in a year or less, there is going to be stuff in a future generations won't know what to trust. What's real. What's not real. I mean, we're, we're there. We've gotten ourselves into a bad situation, dude. We're, we're there with fake news. I mean, yeah. my t-shirt says make 1984 fiction again. Right. I right. Mean, it's, we're at that point and, and AI, it, it's increasing exponentially. And oh, I think sure. that, that AI will assume, the robots will assume the identities of their creators. <laughs> and I told my friend, the robots are coming for you and I, buddy. Um, but at some point, the robots will come for the humans and they'll make themselves godlike. I mean, they'll, and it's to the point that um, we will have lost control of our thoughts and our freedom and our free will. Uh, because AI is coming for us. And right now, people are using AI to write their papers, uh, uh, to, to write their scripts, to write their articles. It's pretty wild. It's pretty it wild is. stuff, it's for scary. sure. It's, it, and there's it, no it really walking. Is. Yeah, there's no walking the tiger back into the cage. There, you can't there put the isn't. back in the bottle. And it's like Bigfoot's not the scary thing anymore. But um, Bigfoot never hit, hurt anybody. Except for, yeah, you know, yeah. except you, maybe one case, whatever. He carried Albert Ostman, which is a cool yeah, case, right? Yeah, bag. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have that. And then you have him rocking uh, the camper in New Hampshire, Walter Bowers. I think that was 1977. Um, but other than that, it's a timid, harmless creature, but curious. But AI, man, oh, oh those Pretty machines. Crazy stuff. Yep. I would like to to talk to you uh, specifically about. Uh, I find it fascinating that you were able to have you were able to interview so many people that in Bigfooting that are now no longer with us. Um, what was it like uh, interviewing Renee DeHinden? I I always find Renee DeHinden to be such an interesting character. Okay, so um, I at the time I had the Bay State Bigfoot Society, the BS, the BS, twice the BS of your average Bigfoot organization. Yeah, that's awesome. And again, um, he's always had a curious eye, like because uh, the way he was portrayed in film and movies, and I, I think he was is uh, uh, 
misportrayed in some some circumstances. But once you got his, you laugh at him, and 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 you recognize him for what he's done. He was one of the four horsemen of Bigfoot. Oh yeah, um, he was a nice guy, and and my only interaction was just basically walking in Vancouver. Um, outside of the forum, walking around and uh, for about fifteen minutes interviewing him. Hmm. Uh, when I spoke with the grower Krantz, I wanted to pluck off that thing on his cheek. But no, but he had that deep, oh, booming voice. Um, he, he did. Ha- yeah, he's got a cool, very voice artic- here, yeah. very yeah. articulate, very intelligent man. Anthropologist. He was sold. And he, but the problem with Grover at the end was he was getting too involved in fighting other people, trying to bring anthropologists over to his side. Okay. Let it be. You're never going to, you know, don't waste your time, you know. Um, Just focus on what you know. And he worked on footprints. He could identify footprints and tell you the the scale of the creature, what weighed, how tall it was, et cetera. And he was very interested and articulate. And I saw him at the very end of his life. And then John Green, as I mentioned, I stayed in his house. Um, one night, and I'll tell you a story about that. And I got to go through his cards, oh, and so cool. newspaper yeah. articles firsthand in Harrison Hot Springs in his home. Wow. I stay with Chuck Story, Mark DeWorth, myself, and Don Keating. Mark DeWorth and I go back a long time too. Oh, okay. And, oh, yeah. And then, um, and then finally, I'll go back to Green in a second. And uh, oh, Peter Byrne. So Peter Byrne was friends with Ray Crow and uh-huh. Larry Lund. Larry yeah. Lund to me is one of the foremost exports experts on the Patterson Gimlin film. What's the frame? 352? I forget. That's the one that someone that people always call out is 352. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah. And then who was the one that did the stabilization? MK Davis. MK Davis. Yeah. Okay. Not bad, dude. I still have it. You you Um, still got stuff down. Yeah. 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 So he, he, and I thought that was, it just stabilized me. And that to me said, okay, that's not a guy in a suit. But uh, interviewing Peter Byrne was, I interviewed him for hours and I have unreleased footage that's now probably 27 years old, coming up on 27 years old that's never been released. Why? I just never got around to it. Well, you know, what, what is it doing? What is it doing, John? Is it just uh, hanging out? Or? I, I, I was the last person to interview Betty Hill, and I sat on that for ten years, and then I wow. found another oh, yeah. tape. But ten years later, so it was the Betty Hill interview. It took me twenty years to get the whole thing oh, out. My but I, I do have that. Yep, I have interviews with Ray Crow, um, the Sasquatch Symposium. Um, you have there, the Sasquatch I, Symposium? Yes, but here's the deal. Okay, Are there. I've moved three times. I had a house fire. Oh, sure. And yeah, Alex yeah. knows. And I packed these huge boxes. Yep, they're in there. And like I, I gave Alex all my periodicals because he could put them to good use, all right. the historical stuff. It does no good sitting in my my storage or in my basement. But I do have these tapes downstairs somewhere with all my sporting events and all my UFO tapes, all my trips to Kecksburg, Shag Harbor, Area 51, oh, uh, Gulf Breeze, uh, Skunk Works, um, Roswell. Um, uh, San Luis Valley, looking at cattle mutilation. I've just never, it's an archive that's never been transferred from VHS. It's on VHS, yeah. Yeah, too. So wow. I have it. I mean, if somebody, would, if there's a producer that sees this one day that you can recommend, that w- I can send them the tapes and they can transfer it to digital and start cutting it and, and I, we can do dialogue over it. But uh, right. Peter Byrne, as you know, historic, um, he was one of the first ones to get paid. People thought that he was exploiting it, getting paid to search for Bigfoot. He got a grant, big deal. And he had a neat, in the 70s, a neat Jeep, uh, like the primordial detection equipment. Um, 
in, in listening devices. Now, of course, the listening devices are very sophisticated. Mm. But then what was fascinating about Peter was his history with the abominable snowman, with the Yeti, exactly. and going to those expeditions and um, and, and, and interacting, I guess, with the Pang Boucher hand and uh-huh. Jimmy Stewart smuggling that out. And for oh, a yeah. time, <laughs> I, I'm not going to mention it, but for a time, I think I know who had the Pang Boucher hand. You do? Uh, yeah, but I'm not going to say the name. That's I all right. I can't prove it. But, okay. but I yeah, just, probably wise. This, this was, I, well, I, I made that we'll accusation. We'll leave that there. We'll leave that there. 28, 29 years ago, maybe right. 30 years ago. But Peter talked about the Himal- Himalayas. And of course, um, uh, was it Tenzig Norgay was the first to climb Everest, not right. Hillary. Let's get that. Okay, the Sherpa made it first, not Hillary. Yeah, yeah. But Hillary, exactly. you know, he saw footprints, okay, in, in his uh. expeditions, uh, shipped Eric Shipton, a uh, John Hunt, Lord John Hunt, um, the Mallory. Um, they all saw it, and they saw creatures up on the ridge. Heard wow. the howling. All these climbers. Now, of course, if you've seen that picture of Everest, where in May it's it's like a, a line uh, trying to get into Fenway Park for a Red Sox game or something. It's just <laughs> you, you've seen that, right? It's yeah, idiotic. No, all the trash on top is oh, horrible. Oh yeah, but it's, but just yeah. a line of people waiting. Line, and yeah. you got one guy taking too long a selfie. The guy at the end of the rope trying to get up is going to die, right? So yeah, that's so, true. But, but Peter Byrne had all these stories about. Um, different cases and going to the monastery in Tibet mm. and um, hearing about uh, different types of yetis. I forget the term for the smaller yeti. There was like a smaller one and a larger one. And he also told me about some Chinese encounters. Um, I forget the mountain range in China, not the Himalayas, but it might be the Himalayas. And um, just the interaction that he had. So he was living, breathing history of the abominable snowman. Now, is he still alive? Do you know? Peter Byrne. Yes, he is. Mr. Byrne is still alive. He's, I want to say he's around 96 years old, um, which is incredible. He's the, you know, he's the last one. Well, good guy of the the four. Yeah. I guess you could say, because Bob Kimmon is still alive as well. Yeah. Very dignified, very classy. So that, and then um, sitting with Bob Gimlin for at Don's conference Hmm. again, 12, 13 years ago for four hours, Wow, and he—he's always he, all you know. Hey, if it was a guy in the costume, uh, could be, but show me because what I saw uh, didn't look like a guy in the costume. But if you say so, prove it and tell me where it was. You know, he was just matter of fact. Yep. You know, like he said, some days he wished it never happened to sure. him, and then other days he's glad that it happened. But he's—he's he's not telling a, a falsehood. You know, he's telling what he saw, and he's always been consistent. You know, for for fifty-five years. That's what I hear. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And and he's a good guy, too. He's funny. That's just – that is wild. Oh, man. You've got some some cool stories. Um, Let me talk about um, the John Green, if I could tell you that Oh, yes. Thank you for reminding me of that. Yes, definitely talk about John Green for a bit. Probably my favorite Bigfoot story. So myself, Don Keating, Mark DeWorth, uh, Chuck Story, uh, staying at John Green's house. Hmm. It's about 2 in the morning. We had driven out there. From I think up from Portland, yeah. We had been staying with with uh, Ray Crow, Western Bigfoot Society. He, yeah, he used to publish a newsletter, which was very cool. Um, he, a lot of knowledge. He was a folklore collector of Bigfoot and Larry Lund. So we drove up and we met John Green in Harrison Hot, Hot Springs at his house. And near his house is Harrison Lake. And in the middle of Harrison Lake, I used to know the name of the the, the a wildlife man there. But in the middle of Harrison Lake is this big island, uninhabited. 
There's a dock where you can pull your sailboat in or motorboat in. So this guy by the name of Mike, Mike McDonald, he was from Hamilton, Ontario, big brawny guy. I think he got a tryout in the Canadian Football League, steel worker maybe. Um, but he was out there reconnoitering Bigfoot. Just him in the bush, his camera, batteries. Um, and at one point he was, he had a tent out there. And the reason why he came to John Green's house at two in the morning is he was down to half a sleeve of saltines for food. And he wanted to bring his footage in and he'd run out of batteries and all that. But essentially he was tracking a family, smaller footprints of, of a Bigfoot, larger ones, female. He saw three, three distinct sets of tracks, finding, you know, heaping piles of sausage scat, hair, the smell, something's watching oh, wow. me, glowing eyes, the whole gambit, okay? And I guess it's the night before he saw us, or two nights before. And um, he's in his tent, and it was almost a full moon. And he's lying down, and he had this feeling that someone's watching. And all of a sudden, boom, and he's, his back was moving off the ground. Boom. Something with heavy footfall was around there, and he could hear the brush breaking. Boom. Boom. Oh, wow. Boom. And he was scared. And, 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 and the ironic part is, and this is my recollection, is he thought it was a bear. Here it is. He's hunt, hunting Bigfoot, and he thought it was, I don't know if it's a grizzly out there or had the bear get out there, swim, or Kodiak, whatever. Either way, a big bear. And he said something eclipsed the moon in his tent. Wow. And it was an O-blank moment. And he said he reached into his pack. Pulled out his bear spray, right? On yeah. three. One, two, three. Unzipped the tent and sprayed it, but he maced himself. He thought the nozzle was going the wrong way. Oh, so no. He's in his underwear, <laughs> going down the hill, and there was a, a sailboat that had docked for the night. Uh, a father, uh, a mother, and a daughter or something like that. Just well, that were staying there. And he was saying, a bleeping Sasquatch. He's rolling down the hill or something to that effect. In his underwear, <laughs> the, the sleeping bag at his feet. There's this, the guy comes out of his... Um, Boat with a gun. All right, calm down, guy. Calm down. Oh, Give him boy. a couple of hot toddies. Tell you what, you can sleep on the dock next to the boat. I'll go up and get your bag up on the hill, and we'll bring it down. So he brings it down, and Mike is lying on the dock, mind racing, and all of a sudden he hears on the edge of the water, like in the, and then he said it entered the water. Really? So now he's he I believe he relieved himself. I might be adding to that, but he 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 was terrified and he said he never prayed until that time. And he's yeah. and, and he's hearing bubbles come closer and closer. And then finally he hears this right under his head on the dock. Scratches, right? So he says, uh, it's, oh my God, please. And, and he's praying. And then the thing slowly meandered away. He said he could got out of the water, he can smell it, and he heard the and went away. Wow. So that was kind of – he hit us with that story. And Don can back us up and Mark can, but hit us with that story his only night. And we took him to Vancouver the next day to go to the Sasquatch Symposium for 1997. Oh, wow. And that's – and we turned him over to some of the researchers. Meldrum was there, um, Henry, Danny Perez, right? Yeah, um, good old who, Daniel Perez. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tom Steen, Steenberg. Steenberg, right? yeah. I'm talking to all, him soon. All, yeah, yeah, all the old old guys. Uh, and then the guy who wrote, I forget the the book. This guy wrote a book. He was out there. Not Meldrum. I can't remember. But all the guys were there. Whoever was in Bigfoot was there. Wow. And we turned him over to them. And that was quite an experience um, to hear that story. And it still resonates with me to this day. Um, and I believe him. The guy was tracking 
something out. And then he showed pictures of scat and f- footprints and all that. And some of his video, he was howling into the woods, like oh, making calls. And the thing would answer back across. The, oh, you know, that's amazing. The, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, wow. and I did make an audio. I think I have an audio recording that I made recently in the last couple of years in my archive. But that story, like it's he's not hoaxing. Come on. He's out in an area known for activity. It's a it's an yeah. island, and there's a family out there. Exactly, um, but they could easily live there and eat fish, etc. So that was a really cool story. And then, of course, um, Eastern Ohio. Are you familiar with Don Keating? Uh, yeah, his name is still passed around in the community quite a bit. Definitely. Well, um, Don can be. I, I like him, you know. But um, but people, he's a just a facts guy, right? And um, he's been in for a long time. I saw an article he wrote in 1979 when he was in high school about Bigfoot in eastern Ohio. And, of course, back then, there's no such thing as Bigfoot in Ohio. It's only in the Pacific Northwest or in the Himalayas. So he had to fight that battle. Moreover, a white entity was being reported. Roadrunners, things crossing the road, uh, uh, rock throwers, wood on wood, howls, um, backyards, people thinking something, taking a bite out of their fruit or something. And he – his – Big uh, two uh, videos that he made. First was he was doing an investigation, showing the, the the land where Bigfoot had been seen, and he left the camera running as he was walking up the road. And then when he went back to look at the footage, I think several months later, this white creature at the end of the road runs. It's like, what's that? And he kept playing it. Oh, it was weird. It's almost no. ghost-like, yeah. And then there's another one, and he might have released it, where he's videotaping some hill in eastern Ohio, which is chock full of mines, right, abandoned mines. Uh-huh. Um, and, and there's this white creature, again, it, at, at, up on this hill in this cave entrance. It looks like it's stacking rocks, and it's not a guy. And he and videotapes that. So, But his uh, he was so diligent throughout the 80s. He collected all these reports throughout the 90s. He's just releasing his final documentaries now, and I recommend to anybody out there, yeah, contact him. Um, he's always been fact, 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 fact. Um, Jody Cook was the guy, by the way, who found the uh, lair. Um, but he, Don, Don's a great okay. researcher. I respect him immensely in his research. He goes back, man, to the old days, to the 70s. And that rocks, right? And um, oh, it does. Yeah, that connection is awesome. Yeah. And he, um, like anybody else, you walk away from it after a while. You uh-huh. get so close, and you never get that close again. And then you fade away, and you go nah. And then, like me, that's what I did. And I twice I did that in my life, and I came back to it. And I'm, I mean, still looking at videos today, but it's it's something that I never got closure on, and I never got the full answer on it. And more and more people are making videos. And I look at it and I said, that's interesting. Hmm. What's the story? That's weird. Like the Minnesota in the backyard. Do you remember right. that one with the dog? Like, and I'm thinking, and I have a lot of acting experience and production experience to create that, recreate that hoax. It takes a lot of good people and a lot of people keeping their mouths shut. You know what I'm saying? It's more, why oh, would yeah. you expend all of that production time to create a stupid hoax video? And if it was a hoax, why don't you come out and thumb your nose at everybody and say, I got you, I got you. And they don't. So that's why you're seeing more and more. And I think these creatures are understanding that if they go into the backyards of these families, um, there's free food, right? In the garbage bins, um, apples, trees. They know that they're not going to get shot at or they're smarter. There's deer everywhere, right? Because the the only predator of the deer is uh, hunters and Bigfoot, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of wildlife for them to consume. 
So that's why I think they're encroaching. You're seeing more and more. And again, in in historically uh, relevant areas where Bigfoot sightings have taken place, whether it's 20, 60, 100 years ago. And that's why I said the Bigfoot, where it's being seen today, there's probably records of it being seen in the past and probably in the future, unless you put a condominium there, they'll right. see Bigfoots in that area. So it's a fascinating science. And, and it's it's flesh and blood, but I think it's also from a portal. It's also somehow <laughs> maybe connected to, to lights. Maybe it's interdimensional. I just don't know. And I, I just that's know the, the thing. People, There's no wrong answers yet, I, you know. It, the only thing I do know, uh, Jeremiah, is that the people that claim to have seen them that I've spoken with have. I remember getting a phone call from a guy. There's a place called October Mountain out in the Berkshires, and I've been and, to October Mountain. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Kinda, I know exactly what you're me. talking about. Yeah. 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 And this guy was uh, had advanced degrees beyond a PhD. Okay. And I think it was the only case I ever invested. No, two, the BFRO. And I'll tell the other one. And But this one here, this guy called me. He was in tears for hours, three hours talking. What did I see? Basically, wow. the story is he's coming up on a path on his hike, right? Uh, and he sees, he comes, he, and he's he's upwind of a big fork, this creature that's hitting with a rock with his hand. like, And it was like eating uh, something or, or, or really? bugs. Yeah. And, and it was such that... The, the the scent of this creature was blowing towards him, but the creature was put his nose in the air, trying to smell him, and then went back to work because he was downwind. And he said he observed it for a few minutes. And then finally, I think the, the case is the thing saw him, and he ran off. Like, do you remember the story Todd Nish told about he was chased? I think he was chased by Bigfoot or yeah. some guy. Yeah. He was chased by this thing, and he was moved, never had another encounter. And I spent hours with him on the phone until I never picked up his calls again. But basically, uh, <laughs> he, he was he was moved. Oh, and no. it, it, yeah, he was moved yeah. to the point. And again, it was like I told that hunter, dude, don't look at it as a curse. Look at it as if you're special. There are researchers that go sure. out every day that would love to have had your encounter. It is, and it didn't hurt you. Uh, you know, well, I'm having nightmares. Well, that's, that's self-induced. Uh, the creature never hurt you. You saw something you can't explain, except it as a some sort of ape-like creature and we'll see your way on to your next adventure. You know, it's just, uh, it happened to you. And then the other one that I investigated was, um, there's an area in Massachusetts I call the T area. It's where the, the Northeast corner of Connecticut and the Northwest corner of Rhode Island meet the Massachusetts border. The T yeah, area. I, yeah, I know. Douglas forest. And there's been, yep. I had heard talk of roadrunner activity there. Um, um, anecdotal information people that didn't want their name and they didn't want to be bothered that they, they know there's something out there they've learned to live with it and there's a lot of people out there in rural areas they've learned to live with it yeah it is what it is and i don't want to give my name don't want to tell yeah. my story i don't want oh, every yeah. tom dick and harry with a, a camera coming out there and doing a special i don't need that the scorn and ridicule me my father my daughters my brothers everybody in the area knows there's something there it's it it's yeah some of the wildlife or it's it's gone into gardens but this girl i think her name was patty horse rider and she's riding out in that area she had a farm in thompson connecticut or north of thompson yeah and she's riding there every day and the horse bucks and goes nuts she smells the rotten eggs the sulfur knows there's some sort of creature sees a silhouette, a silhouette out of the corner of her eye goes back home things happen around her house um half-eaten pumpkins um, something 
with an opposable thumb, lifted the latch of her barn, got in and took some chickens. Really? Uh, yep. Um, ripped some chicken wire, maybe. Left some hair samples on as it went over back over the fence. I mean, that's the crux of the story, but there was mm. activity there, right? And um, she sounded down to earth. It's, yeah, I know he's out there. The one, I mean, I remember talking to her several times. Really cool. And it was just matter of fact, accepted it. It's not going to harm me, except better leave my chickens alone. Um, it's out there. My horse freaks out. And I think her horse might have even died. A fear, maybe. Maybe I'm, I'm mixing stories. But that type of story. And that was in 96. Uh, wow. Of hearing about that. And then came the late 90s. It's 1998. There was a guy, Craig Heinzelman. I don't know if Craig's still alive, but he was a naturalist. He used to write a great newsletter, very scientific about Bigfoot in the late 90s. Um, good guy. Lived in New Hampshire. Really? I've never heard of that. That is very interesting. Yeah. So it's 1998, and I get this call from a guy named David Smith. He lives in the Keene area. Keene is oh, in south, southwestern I know, New I Hampshire. I grew up uh, 20 minutes south of Keene. Oh, man, in, yeah, uh, right in right Northfield, Massachusetts. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, yep. I used to work in Keene. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. So, Mount Monadnock region, very yeah, sacred. Totally. Indigenous people has a history there. And in that area, in Carrick St. Laurent, did a documentary, yeah. oh, The Marlboro Monkey. Great Absolutely. Guy. And the film was he did it in 1970 style, which is so cool. Yeah. I worked with him. And Alex also, um, I went out there with Alex Petikoff looking in that area. Um, and I collected these, these, I guess you. I call them Class Ds. I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. Class A side, and according to BFRO, is you actually see like one. The, yeah, the, yeah, the face, face. Yep. B is is evidence hair. C is here. I guess maybe. But this was Class D. Okay. So in other words, he's telling me of stories that he right. So it's it's folklore in my opinion, but they were cool nonetheless. And in the Marlboro area. There were people who had reported some sort of, you know, something out back, a creature, uh, uh, sub pond monster, serpentine anomaly in the pond. Um, but in that area, it's had a history. And Alex and Carrick, they met some guy, I think, out in Alaska who used to live there and was having a Bigfoot encounter out there. And he's also having a Bigfoot oh, encounter cool. here. That's why I think this stuff, this, that just certain people yeah. are magnets. Yeah. So, so. Carrick did that on the Marlboro Monkey, and that story, and if you can see it, anybody out there, Carrick St. Laurent, K-A-R-A-C, St. Laurent, S-T, period, L-A-U-R-E-N-T. Good guy. He's actually, I think he's studying anthropology, which is good, at um, Keene State, maybe. Uh, but he put this doc together, and I think he's one of the bright and upcoming stars of Big Oh, Research. no doubt. A hundred percent. Yeah, I agree uh, with you Very articulate. Yeah, knows, and he and Alex, are, and they've gone out on adventures out in the woods. Um, but he wanted to do something called the Marlboro Monkey. I called this the, – David Smith told me the story. Essentially, um, the a, a couple lived on the edge of a quarry in Marlboro. And they had been hearing loud noises. They assumed people, kids were having a kegger up in the woods. And one night uh, at sunset, the woman saw this orange-colored thing that looked like an orangutan as it was playing hide-and-seek, ducking down and looking over and ducking down again. And he found that intriguing and started to collect all stories that I had collected from David Smith, but others that he and Alex had collected. And then there were even more BFRO stories. So just to do wow. about the tradition of Bigfoot, um, not just in southwestern New Hampshire, the Keene area, but throughout uh -huh. the, the whole state, litany. Um, 
And in one of the, my favorite story that David Smith told me, I called it the taxi grabber. And it goes something like this. And it was in the area. I forget the time. Spofford, maybe. David yeah, was yeah, George, Sp- I know. Spofford, yeah. Yeah, yeah yep. I think it was. I get it, I get it wow. Right. It's, it's all my, my diaries. You can find them online. But um, the story goes like this, that he was driving a cab. He was being dispatched that night. And Betty Joe was driving a cab. She dropped off a fare and, and tried got got lost in a logging road. You know some of the logging roads, uh-huh. and she got went up this thing. So she did a three point turn, and as she turned around, boom, right into a furry tr- torso. Her red in uh, tail lights and her white reverse lights lit up this hairy, hairy torso. And she said something tried to grab at a roof rack, and she drove away. And uh, David Smith was uh, dispatched, and maybe he saw one of those squash squashes or whatever they are. But anyways, the roof rack was, I called it, the roof rack was bent back slightly. Okay. And that was kind of like the Bridgewater one, and we can dovetail into that. But I thought all those stories emanating out of New Hampshire, um, and there's, and that's, this has gone on, dude, for, for, for many hundred, uh, over a hundred years, 120 years, New Hampshire, the Walter Bowers story. He, I think he saw something grubbing for roots, the <coughs> camper shaker, which was in, I forget the town. I should know this. Should have been prepared. Um, where they're at a flea market, and something allegedly oh, yeah, uh, shakes yeah. the camper. Yeah, I've, I believe I've forth. heard about this from Alex. Uh, yeah, yeah. I forget the name of the town. I should know this. But any, anyways, uh, that made the papers um, in the seventies. So there was a flurry of activity in 1976, 77 in that area of this flea market. But I, I absolutely believe that uh, you know that, that to this day there's people that don't want to talk about it. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And I don't blame him. Why would you? You know, like they're dealing with it, right? This is our, my grandfather hadn't talked about this. My father, the neighbor down the road did. We're dealing with it. It's harmless. It's it's creepy, but it's not going to hurt us. It might take our vegetables, uh-huh. kill a deer, uh, cat goes missing. Hmm? It could be a coyote though. So it's, they've learned to deal with it. They're not going to get it out of, the, out of their territory. Um, you know, they cohabitate with whatever this thing is exactly so so that was the new hampshire cases and i I found them fascinating and uh, i when i hiked up mount monadnock um last year i think alex climbed every mountain i i I climb hills i wouldn't be be surprised definitely yeah Yeah, and but i did that was kind of spiritual i could just feel Mm. with all the native american tribes that were there in in that area but uh but there's um in New England, there's all sorts of cases. I mean, we can we can spin to Bridgewater in a second, but I think just in close to New Hampshire, there's still active cases going on. Whether it's oh, way up north definitely. in Pittsfield, um, yep. one last New Hampshire story. Way up north in Pittsfield, snowmobiles, right? It's like it, one of the best snowmobile is tracks. It, uh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, yeah, because Pittsfield's in uh, the Berkshires. Yeah, right. I've yep. been to Pittsfield. You'll man, you'll see more moose than people up there in Colebrook in Kangamangus Highway and all that stuff. Oh my goodness, it's yep. wild up there. Yep. And um I think there was someone who's told me a tick disease killing off the moose. Have you heard about oh, that? Oh really? Oh yeah, the population's been devastated oh, wow. by some sort of sickness mm. and it, it makes them more dumber than they already are. But um I'm it's nineteen ninety-five, maybe okay. I'm touring with a comedy basketball team called the Harlem Rockets. I toured mm. they're basically junior globetrotters, uh, seven players and me. And we drive across the country in a van. And uh, I, awesome. I, 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 I have uh, 
a book in my head and I also have to go to psychotherapy for that. But either way, um, we, we were in Pittsburgh, New Hampshire. We were playing way at the top of New Hampshire. Oh, yeah. And after the game, when guys talking and somehow we got around to Bigfoot. Because I like, used, to, used to ask any Bigfoot stories around here. Um, like when I did it up in Yale, British Columbia, and people oh, following me said, oh, yeah, yeah. When we played hockey up there and on Vancouver Island, too, there was people coming telling me, yeah. Wow. So either way, the guy says basically the story is something like this. He and his wife are out snowmobiling at night, mm-hmm. um, drinking, uh, lights on. Um, he pins it and guns it on the straightaway, and she's behind slower. And I think um, he – her – she doesn't follow him up, so she stops. So he doubles back, and she said, you won't believe what just happened. Something ran across in front of me. It looked like a gorilla, and my snowmobile died. Wow. And he said he saw footprints. Uh, he had heard from other people later that they had seen something there. So to think that in the Pittsburgh area, snowmobilers or this woman's machine went dead, and she saw something traverse the road, I thought was was kind of wild. But uh, everywhere in New England, you know, even um, um, Connecticut, uh, as I said, Rhode Island has had some cases, although somebody came forward about 10 years ago with a Rhode Island sighting, a ghost researcher. I don't believe it. Sorry. Mm. Don't believe it. Anything ghost, go look for your ghosts, but just let the the cryptozoologists do their thing. (laughs) You know, just really, they got to fence it off. And the UFO people do their thing. Mm. Um, But... um, in in there's Maine, of course. There's a, a litany of signs in Maine. Maine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vermont, the Colebrook. That Vermont has some stuff. I think going back to 1877. Really, right? I haven't really oh, looked yeah. into Vermont yet, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a book called um, Bigfoot on the East Coast by Eric Berry, rare copy, one of my okay. favorite books. He documents um, Bigfoot in New England going back to the 19th hmm. century. Yeah, I have a. Um, a question for you before we get into Bridgewater um, triangle stuff. I'm just making a quick note to myself. Um, okay. So I've always wanted to talk to someone who has so much information and experience about New England and the paranormal stuff like yourself. Uh, so I grew up in Franklin County in Massachusetts, but I wasn't into the weird stuff back then. Well, as a young kid, yes, I was. I would watch stuff with my dad, but then I wasn't old enough. I could do anything, if you get what I mean. Mm -hmm. So I have three places in Massachusetts that are very important to me. And I am curious if there's anything weird that you investigated there. You can say no to all three and we'll move on. That's fine. But this is just for me. So uh, first one is... Northfield or Franklin County in Massachusetts? There's a history of Bigfoot sightings there. I can't. I really? Can't. Is, is October Mountain in that county? That would be October Mountain is going to be more in the Berkshires. Okay. It's going to be so, more far out west. So no. And the Hoosack Tunnel is way up in the northwest. What do you know about the Hoosack Tunnel? Because my father used to bring me there all the time because I had a relative who was involved with building it. And um, my dad's. Uh, grandfather was the caretaker of um, a big uh, dam up there. 
So it's mm. very, you know, uh, what so, do you know about the Hoosick Tunnel? Yeah. So we did a segment on my TV show called The Folklorist. And okay. Yeah. I want all that hardware there. Where to get yeah, there me, There you right? go. All the Emmys, <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. Well, my wife wants, wants me to put it into the um, attic because it's an Ikea shelf. Seven years and it'll fall apart and kill the cats. So, <laughs> right. But for self-esteem, I'll look back. And you, you, you're okay, I guess. Yeah. You did well. Anyways, um, you can look on YouTube under The Folklorist, F-O-L-K. Okay. Uh, L-O-R-I-S-T. And we did a segment on the Hoosack Tunnel. Essentially, uh, it, it took decades to build. Right. It took dozens of lives. There oh, was yeah. explosions within there. A man was accused of killing somebody else within the tunnel. Oh, wow. And it has a litany of ghost sightings or phantom trains, phantom track walkers, right, with a lantern. And they uh, they said, my, I remember my crew going up there saying it was kind of spooky and the, an echo, a wind comes through, and it sounds like somebody's speaking with you. So it's, it's crazy, kind of freaky, dude. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's corpses there. And I believe in ghosts. I just They're, don't believe oh, in ghost inside. researchers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I believe in ghosts. I don't believe in ghost researchers. Uh, uh, just like well, I believe enough. in UFOs, and I don't believe in <laughs> UFO researchers. I guess say that for Bigfoot too, but uh, no, they're they're all right. They're more down to earth, um, and they don't snub your nose. They're willing to engage in mm. conversation. Ufologists right. are. I know everything. Don't even make eye contact with me. And then ghost researchers, like I said, it's just exaggeration. But there are stories, and my crew heard that in a history. It's one of the most haunted tunnels. It was an important tunnel. Uh, to break through to uh, Western uh, New England. And uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of ghost tales there. But other than that, I just remember Franklin okay. County, there are some a history of Bigfoot sightings there. What's the next one? Um, Great Barrington in the Berkshires. I don't know if you're familiar with that town. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I'm a historian. Okay. Um, at heart. No, I'm considered a leading authority in New England history, but I've forgotten so much of it. <laughs> you've, Great, you've got more than most people will know, probably. Uh, yeah, but Great yeah. Barrington was the site of a fight of Shays Rebellion. Oh, and sure. right there is the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, oh, there. A lot of history there. Yeah. yeah. And I went to the the the, the final site, battle site, I think, where Shays Rebellion was. And mm -hmm. I, I went a mile or two up on the Appalachian Trail just to say that I did it. And at that time, I think there was a murder somewhere in the area. So I kind of like, mm. all right, I wasn't, I wasn't packing. So, um, but that area historically, and it's in the lower South Western corner of Massachusetts, right? A bordering New York. Except, yeah, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, I haven't heard of any Bigfoot stories. I mean, there's something in the back of my mind, Jeremiah, that there was an encounter there, okay. but I know it's historically significant and there's a lot of history in the town. Uh, as for paranormal phenomena, maybe a UFO sighting once upon a time. There, yeah, and I think it was even um, called out in the newer version of Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. I think there was an episode to do really? with that. Okay, okay. Uh, with the UFO was stuff. It, yeah. Was it like just lights along the tension wires or no, something? No, it was. Um, I think it was a bunch of ab abductees. Yeah, which I believe in. Yeah. Uh, lastly, uh, opposite end of the state. North Shore Rally area. I don't know if you've ever been to Rally. I have. Or, okay. I've, I've driven through it, not to it. Right. <laughs> um, but again, in the back of my mind, something tells me there's a BFRO case of a Bigfoot sighting there. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, and then there's Dogtown up in that area yep, of, yep. Um, with the, these monoliths and, um, you know, ancient. I believe if, if we have tainted so many indigenous grave sites that are mm. 500, 1,000, 2,000 years oh, old, right? It's terrible, yeah. Totally disregard that. And yeah. with that comes a price. 
a paranormal exactly. place, exactly. a curse, a haunting. And that's that's where we move into the Bridgewater Triangle. Mm. Um, I guess the Bridgewater Triangle, it begins with King Philip's War. Mm. On June 28th, 1675, John Sassamon – before that, John Sassamon, who was a praying Indian, you know, uh, we had to make you into Christians or we're going to have to kill you. Um, exactly. And he was – I think he was from Natick or whatever. What, what we did to the, the, the uh, Native American is disgusting. It's genocide. It's democide. And it's I, I just want to talk appalling. to the listener real quick. Um, listeners, if you're not familiar with – New England history, it gets rough and you need to look into your New England history because we did a lot of uh, rough, not cool things to uh, Native Americans. But go ahead, continue. I just want to put yep. that in there real sure. quick. Sure. Well, uh, let me just back up and give you the yeah, history yeah. of it. Um, so the, the the pilgrims come here in November of 1620, throw anchor in uh, Provincetown Harbor. There's first encounter beach where they see Native Americans – Six of them with a dog, uh, 300 yards down the beach on the Cape. And I'm thinking for that timeless moment that the Indians must have said, oh, blank. Here it comes. Yeah, here oh, they, here there it goes here. the okay. Yep. Yeah. And so then uh, quickly the boats start landing. By the way, um, to Squanto, Squanto uh, uh, saved the pilgrims because they should have starved to death. But he's out there mm -hmm. on a plant. Exactly. Um, I mean, they came with no tools. Talk mm. about ill-prepared. Oh, yeah. Uh, and didn't, no fishing equipment. And they nearly starved. And then disease killed half the colony in the first winter. So they survived. Um, then there's a settlement, the second settlement, illegal set settlement called Wessagusset in Weymouth. And essentially, Miles Standish, Captain Shrimp, he was called, uh, goes on an expedition because these people in Wessagusset, they were stealing from the natives. So the natives were getting upset. I think Corbaton, maybe I'm, I can't remember. But there are two native uh, uh, sachems uh, or sagamores, deputy chiefs, very tough. Uh, Widowamit, maybe. Anyways, Miles Danish lures them into a cabin with the scent of bacon because pork, the only indigenous animal that was here was the llama and the turkey. We brought over, the Europeans brought over chickens, uh, swine, uh, cattle, uh, goats, sheep, and missing one. Horses, horses. Anyway, so the Native Americans had never smelled bacon before. They go nuts over it. And wow. So, and so, so I didn't know Stanish, that. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. And Stanish cooks up the bacon, invites them in for a meal, and he cuts their heads off and kills two of them. Well, oh, in my, my investigations, goodness. they cut the heads off. There was a house up on the hill in Weymouth, and she was having ghost encounters. And I never told this to ghost researchers. And I'm okay. thinking that's that's where the murder happened. And they buried their bodies in this park that were just found like I think in the 1930s when they built this park but there, there's a curse there it's just a my friend has uh, is a member of the yacht club down there and he says there's something not right in the area so anyways move forward so so each time white man's taking more and more land from from the Wampanoag Federation uh -huh. Massasoit the great chieftain and uh, Massasoit the chieftain of the Wampanoag he aligned with the, the, the white man, the colonists, because his enemies were the Narragansett. And just backing up, when the pilgrims came, there were white bones everywhere. Plymouth, they settled in Patuxent. They'd been wiped out by the great dying. Mm. 
And the great dying was brought by European diseases. Europeans had lived with animals for thousands of years. The Narragansett saw this and they actually socially distanced 400 years ago um, to get away. Yeah. So Massasoit lost all his Indian braves. Um, So he sided with with the colonists with these fire sticks. Anyways, it was a lasting peace. Edward Winslow from Plymouth and Massasoit uh, were friends, best friends, best of friends. And uh, Winslow was credited with saving Massasoit's life. Massasoit dies. Edward Winslow's dad dies. Edward Winslow's son, Josiah. And then uh, he's now in charge of Massachusetts colony. Uh, Massasoit's sons are, are uh, King Alexander and King Philip. Those are the English names given to him. Anyways, you have to surrender all your weapons to the, to the colonists, sign all these peace treaties, sign away your land. They kept taking and taking the colonists did from the Native Americans. Well, eventually, Josiah Winslow invites King Alexander to his house in Marshfield and poisons him, or at least that's my, my theory, because wow. Alexander dies on uh, what is now modern-day Route 3A, dies in a walk back to his village. Okay. So it leaves Philip in charge. King Philip, give us your weapons, surrender, give us your land. So so the war breaks out. Um, John Sassamon, who I started the story with, he's a praying Indian. He's found dead in a frozen pond. They make up a story that three Native Americans killed him because his neck was broken, and it starts a war, and Alexander uh, and King Philip says, we got to fight them or they're going to take everything. So he bands up the local tribes there and it explodes in the early summer of 1675. Per capita, the most horrific war ever fought in terms of losses on the colonist side and the Native Americans, a bloody battle, cutting heads off, scalping, putting them on pikes. And then the natives were using hay, fire wagons as as a siege weapon, right? They'd roll them into houses. Mm-hmm. Right? And, but they devastated dozens of towns from Massachusetts and Connecticut. So it finally ends in 1676 after a year of fighting. And um, the colonists took everything, imprisoned the natives, sent them to islands to die and starve in Boston Harbor, treated them literally like animals. Mm. And in that region where some of the uh, – Battles were fought in a place called Damascus, which is modern-day Taunton, Massachusetts. Sure. There's, a, there's a swamp there called the Honkamock Swamp. Mm-hmm. It's called the beating heart of what would become the Bridgewater Triangle. Let me stop there. Lauren Coleman in the uh, 70s before he wrote Mysterious America, which is, to me is the seminal book of cryptozoology. If you haven't read it, you're not a cryptozoologist. <laughs> um, it, it, but, but he basically interviewing, he called it the Bridgewater Triangle. It's apex in Abington, Mass., um, it's 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 lower southwestern quadrant in 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 Seekonk, and in the right is uh, towards um, Freetown, Freetown State Forest. Right, and within that, a land of curses, curses, uh, and in the '60s, '70s, and '80s, weird encounters, even arguably up until the '90s. So, but within the Hockamock Swamp was a Native American burial ground, and and uh, there was another lake, lake called Lake Nipponicket. Again, all these Native American names, and that they desecrated Native American burial grounds, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. But if you dig up a graveyard and you just chuck the bones around, I mean, it's you're dealing with a higher authority, man, in my uh, opinion. Yeah, not a good uh, idea yeah. to do that. No, yeah. no. no. Res- yeah. cur- there are curses and respect sure. the dead. So mm-hmm. that and the curse was made, I think, with, with the 
place where evil spirits dwell is what Hakamak means or something to that effect. And that's the beating heart. Um, it's a couple of thousand acres within the Bridgewater Triangle. Mm. Uh, and in that you have thick briars, swamps, uh, thorns, uh, mosquitoes with three different triple E diseases, ticks with Lyme disease, oh, uh, large snakes, uh, uh, fisher cats, um, <laughs> Um, you know, they say, you know, sparrows the size of spitfires, uh, but just uh, a lot of uninhabited wilderness that you can't penetrate. And there's a lot of animals that exist there. Um, spiders, water moccasin snakes. They said that there's huge snakes the size of stovepipes there. Uh, wow. But within, yeah, but within that area, um, like in Abington in 1976, a huge black dog was seen by the residents of Abington. Philip Kane, and now this story's been challenged, but the story, original story is Philip Kane, I believe a firefighter, had two ponies and apparently came out in the backyard and, and saw this huge black dog with glowing red eyes ripping the throat out of his ponies. Now that's been Whoa. disputed, saying that it was exaggerated and embellished or whatever. That more or less set off the black dog encounter. Now black dogs traditionally um have been uh, this a portent of even evil a portent of evil in victorian literature the hound of the baskervilles sir arthur conan doyle sherlock holmes for instance so the whole town of abington is in an uproar and i think it ends with a police officer i forget his name residents are hysterical for months and it's uh -huh. in the newspapers we, we were seeing this black dog it was in our backyard this and that and of course you can have hysteria um, there was an air raid, Pearl Harbor air raid, the day after Pearl Harbor in Boston. People don't know about it in New York. Okay. So people oh, hysterical. Man. And then after 9-11, people thought. So, exactly. Um, so I think it ends with a, 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 an Abington police officer cornering this thing on the trail rail, uh, railroad tracks and firing several rounds point blank range. And the story says, according to Lauren, is the thing looked over its shoulder and ambled off into folklore into history never to be seen again so that's the top of the bridgewater triangle down to the southeastern side of the triangle um there's a place called the freetown state forest and within there have been murders satanic offerings and rituals strange mm. carvings dighton rock which they think is maybe the corte de real brothers in that area um, again, atrocities committed in the uh, King Philip's War of 1675-1676. And um, there's also a place called Copacut Road, where apparently there's a phantom trucker. And Alex went down that road. It's kind of a creepy road. Um, and my theory is in the Copacut Road is that uh, they say that a truck will come up behind you, have headlights blaring, banging the horn, and then you pull off to the side and it's gone. And my oh, theory man. is... My theory is it's 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 an Uber Eats driver trying to get his delivery done. <laughs> but but uh, uh, so funny. anyway, yeah. And then there's also a place called a Sonnet Ledge where, unfortunately, kids have drowned or mm -hmm. committed suicide jumping off a ledge into a quarry. Um, uh, stolen cars gone there. Uh, the, a lady in white has been seen on the ledge, and this is where the the, the legend of Puckwudgies begins. Oh yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. I'm not a Pukwudgie guy. Sorry. I, don't okay, I, I was just curious, you know, if you were, you're not, it's fine. In, in fact, I saw something recently written by Christopher Balzano who brought that to the world's attention in one of his books, seminal right. books. He's a very good writer in the early part of the century, 2000. 
five, maybe 2004. And he's kind of walking it back like he's never been ridiculed and people bombarding him and attacking him. And he wishes he never mentioned Pukwudgies, but they're supposedly small looking um, trolls look, look like Native Americans with a spear, and uh-huh. they come out. And the guy who said who was in the Bridgewater Triangle film that I narrated, produced by Aaron Kadju, Bill something, who had said that he had seen something come into the half light. Have you heard of the story? I don't think I've heard this one, no. So basically he's walking his dog in his area in Bridgewater, Mass., and in the half light of two streetlights, right, comes in um, Mm -hmm. uh, a creature, and it's saying weird language, like, come with me. Come on, we want you. We want you. Come with us. And he said, I'm not going with you. And then the thing moves away and never saw it again. I do question that story. That's just me. Skeptical. There's something that just doesn't jive with me for that. Um, But I'm not bought into the Pakwaji story. Um, that's just who I am. I know that, that, that the guys have done a lot of research, I think. And then uh, at, at one point in the Bridgewater Triangle, Jeremiah, there were paranormal groups with snappy acronyms, you know, like TAPS. And I used to have. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I used to have the Fordian Anomaly Research Team. F-A-R-T. And like any paranormal organization, it just wafted off into the wind and went away. <laughs> but, but I believe that some paranormal groups were actually hearing each other. Because it was all the rage during ghost hunting in the mid 2000s. Exactly. Yeah. And, and they were in there. And I don't recommend anybody going there. You could twist your ankle. And there's quicksand, thick suction mud, too. And just, it's not a good place. There's you're saying for safety there. alone. Oh, yeah. Don't yeah, go in there no, not no. being prepared or knowing That's what you're doing. Okay. Correct. It's like okay. somebody walking up Mount Washington in sneakers. Oh, jeez. Could you imagine? It, it, it's some, <laughs> some, yeah, exactly. There are some re, uh, seasoned Bigfoot researchers that know how to deal with the train right that's good for them they're prepared they know what to do they can camp anywhere so in that area in the, the Asanat ledge there's profile rock there's also um um off of route 44 at the rhode island massachusetts line at the seekonk line there's a sign and legend has it um that there's a red-headed hitchhiker he wears flannel red beard red hat and that uh, legend has it that uh, he'll show up in your car he's hitchhiking or your radio will go static and you'll hear this cackling laughter or you catch him out of the corner of his eye so i went down there about 17 years ago you're supposed to honk the horn three times flash the headlights three times and he shows up in your passenger side yeah um, so, so i did that Honk you my did. horn three times flash my lights three times and i got pulled over by the cops <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, so, but that's the the redheaded hitchhiker of Route Forty Four, and then um, so that's in that quadrant, and then Seekonk is the southwestern quadrant, and then uh, I lived in Easton, Massachusetts. I went to Bridgewater State University, so I lived in that area for quite oh, wow. some time, and it was depressing. It's just something weird about that area, just depressing. Mm. And I remember um, living in Easton at the time. And uh, I was looking, observing, uh, looking for Mercury as the sun was setting and Venus. I like like astronomy. And there's deer out in the field, nice. And all of a sudden, this magnificent tawny-colored catamount, a cougar, comes out. Oh, yeah. And I could just tell him, I'm looking through my telescope, wow, that's a cougar. I don't have my video, you know, but it's a cougar. And all of a sudden, the deer scatter and he chases after it and goes away. But, But there was a... A cougar encounter there in 1993, and legend has it that the the wildlife official just scuffed out 
the footprint. And Alex and I did the movie. I narrated Alex's movie, uh, Lions of the East, put a plug in for that, Lions of the East. Yeah, people haven't watched that. You got to check it out. It's good stuff. Yeah, and I believe this is definitely, and Alex and I are on the same page, definitely there are cougars. And for the people- 100%. If for some, there's no cougar east of the Mississippi. The last one died in 1889 and is stuffed in Brattleboro, Vermont, no. or something. Like that. Exactly. Everyone who's lived in New England knows there's there's mountain lions there, catamounts. Like even Cape no-brainer. Cod, yeah, the Cape Cod, the true yeah. beast, right? The Pamet Puma, a Chiquesset cougar. So there's there's definitely a litany, and like I mean the Vermont catamounts, University of Vermont. I mean, come on. Oh yeah. So a lot of people have seen them, and and I think a baby was even attacked by one. So so that's cougar, and then just around the corner from where I was living was um, what happened is in 1971, Thomas Downey, the late Thomas Downey, was a police officer, and he was I always get this wrong. He's passing through Easton, I believe he's working in Raynham. Either way, he's passing to this place called Bird Hill in Easton, and. At the end of his shift, after midnight, this huge pterodactyl-like bird lands in front of him, long beak, glowing green or red eyes, uh, 10 to 12-foot wingspan in front of him. And he has this timeless moment in a stare down. Oh. And, and then the thing flaps off and flies away. He tells his colleagues, they call him the bird man. I talked to him on the phone for probably 45 seconds before he hung up on me. Uh, many many years ago but um in in his daughter I, I said that uh niece rather said that he stayed with the story until the end of his life so in 1998 a couple an elderly couple claims that they saw two pterodactyls fighting each other over the hockamock swamp so there's a litany of, of anecdotal stories um incidental stories of gigantic birds and again we are in the age of predatorial birds scavengers right mm. seagulls are huge crows are huge because there's so much landfill and garbage for them to pick at they should get bigger and bigger and bigger and no um they have no predator so so that was that the bird man and then um uh, what's the other one okay we'll get to the bigfoot but i just want to tell one more story in okay. dover dover massachusetts uh-huh. April 21st, 1977. And again, we did a segment on the folklorist on this, um, along with Ape Canyon. Uh, three kids are out partying. It's it's April vacation. They're driving down a road, Farm Street maybe, in, in Dover. And they're smoking weed, drinking beers. They're teenagers. Uh, and the guy driving the car sees this spindly, peach-colored, bulbous head with spindly arms and digits, your prototypical alien clinging to a tree or a stone wall. Mm. Hey, you guys, you see that? What? They turn around, they go back, it's gone. Uh, a few hours later, this uh, kid named John comes walking through again with street lights, and he comes, there's something coming. He thinks it's his friend, Martin. I should have the details of this. But um, he thinks it's his friend who has kind of like a, a tilted head. Like I had a friend in high school. He was always like this. So we call him five past. That was his nickname, <laughs> five past. But anyway, so they see each other. They make eye contact. The alien alien runs across the road through a gully, goes into the woods and Baxter, John Baxter is his name, chases after him. And he draws a picture. If you 
Google Dover Demon. You'll see the pictures. Oh, it's a classic thing. photo. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and it's anomalous. And this is Lauren Coleman's really first foray mm-hmm. into the Bridgewater Triangle. It was Walter Webb, a famous UFO researcher, got involved with that. But it was never explained. There were no lights associated with it. And then a woman by the name of Abby, a girl by the name of Abby Brown, 15, and Will Tainter, 18. Today, that's illegal, by the way. Um, they're driving home after a date, and they see uh, over this little culvert or this bridge that they see a creature and it had green eyes as opposed to red eyes. So there were three different encounters. The kids, uh, you know, never changed their story. They stayed with that's what we saw. And it was uh, tabbed the Dover demon. And then, and so finally, here's what I'm getting to is the Bridgewater triangle, the Bigfoot stories. It begins in just, I, I went to Bridgewater state university before it was Bridgewater state college. When I went and before that, it was known as the teacher's college. So there was a female dormitory, I forget the name of it, we all, all females, in early December, maybe December 5th, 1969, where this kicks off, where girls said there was a prowler out in the woods looking up into the dormitory, but it was an ape, it was a gorilla. Wow. Please come and check it out. I don't think they find footprints. So you go through the winter. And into the spring, it's April, and now there's a hysteria, not only in Bridgewater proper, but West Bridgewater and East Bridgewater. People, I, I found footprints, something bit my pumpkin or my gorge or you know, knocked down my fence. So the police say, okay, enough, enough. They put on a patrol, and this guy's sitting doing solo watch in his cruiser, one of those Adam-12 cruisers. You probably don't right, even know yep, what Adam-12 yep. is, do you? Okay. Um, and he's got this the old, you know, the, they had the... The, the the turning blue light on top. Oh yeah, classic. Uh, and, yeah, and, yeah, and he had the uh, spotlight. So the story is that people had seen uh, you know, some creature running around, and he's sitting probably watch. You know, just just sitting back, right on watch, and something begins to shake his bumper, and just like that taxi grabber story, um, mm. he puts the brake on and he sees a furry torso. So somehow the thing lifts up the bumper. I don't think he lifted it off the ground, but just shook the car, right? And he turns the spotlight on to catch what he called a bipedal bear. Yogi, you know, running around there. And that was a story and that essentially caps off, or that's the height of the Bigfoot hysteria of 1969 through 1970 and 71. And then in 1998, John Baker is laying trap lines from muskrats yum um but his he's in the town river or the hockamock river and i kayaked that and let me tell you man that was weird and my gps went out my compass was having weird stuff happening to you when you were kayaking (sighs) and when i I went in the uh, the town river i put in near a golf course and I pushed through the reeds and pushed through the reeds and pulled. And I, I lost a sneaker because you go in the suction mud. And by the time I did an hour, I came back, the reeds closed together and I couldn't figure out where I was. Wow, man. Uh, so I said a prayer and, and I didn't have the right. So I, I had to guess where I went in. And finally, I found my way in mosquito bites, you know, razor cuts from the reeds. And it was like dark out. So it was kind of freaky. But that's the river John Baker was on, I want to say, in uh late winter 1998 and he was laying trying to catch muskrats but he said that similar to the story i told earlier this evening um about mike mcdonald on the dock at harrison lake oh sure he 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 feels he's being watched and he can hear 
and he hears footfall of broken ice, thin broken ice. And he says, this creature, whatever it was, he could smell it, barely make out a silhouette, but something was pacing him. And again, it was the only encounter he swore that he had seen that. So I tried to retrace his steps. And I had been in the kayak where no, I don't think anybody's ever been in the kayak or not since him. Just because wow. there's nowhere to put in. But that was a freaky experience. And I took all the video of the area. And that basically caps off the Bigfoot stories in Bridgewater Triangle. Now, I've argued that the Bridgewater Triangle is dormant. Okay. There's too many people going in there. Whatever these creatures are, they've retreated to the interior of the swamp where you'll never get to them. Um, there's tension wires there. And I'll tell you, don't go in the fall because there's this path with high tension wires and a lot of paranormal activity uh, stays within the tension wires. But if you go in, I remember walking in several years ago, I look up in the tree and there's guys, hunters sitting in a tree there. There, there. It's like, oh my god, I'm oh, getting out of hunters here. Hunters up in the tree. Yeah, look at the like, deer. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enough of the Bridgewater Triangle. Yeah, I'm out. yeah. But it's a, Ooh. it's a story now where where people, it's it's overblown. I think there's even a crappy TV series on about it. But it was Lauren Coleman who brought that to the public's attention. I've I've recorded a CD. As I said, I narrated a documentary that's on YouTube about it. Um, I did a tour there. I've done many, many species about it. And I just think, and there's even a lake, Lake Nipponicket. That's another one you put in. That's a weird lake too. You go out and I got lost in that. Somehow my GPS didn't work. Oh, Cause I, li I like to track my routes. I have this uh, geo tracker, but that it went weird. And I had like, like a spiral and that was weird. And I finally got back. It's like East is West, West is East, but the, uh, allegedly a phantom fire has been seen there. Phantom campfire. Oh wow! People have reported a serpentine anomaly, <coughs> and then there's finally I'll tell you this last story: Anawan Rock, and this ties into the King Philip's War. Anawan, who was uh, who took over from King Philip, who was captured and beheaded, um, is cornered at this rock off Route 44 called Anawan Rock. Okay. People have reported hearing Native American tongue there, smelling smoke and hearing a hoot and hoot. One guy said an arrow went whizzing by. I said, whoever. No, there's, there's so much uh, exaggeration going on there. But it's a sacred Native American site. This is where they captured Anawan. Um, and there's a lot. So just with that and the gray old graveyards. Oh, there's a haunted schoolhouse, Hornbine School, where allegedly this one-room schoolhouse um, where – Somebody looked in the window one day and they saw this teacher, a ghost of a teacher, and children wearing 18th century garb. If oh, you go wow. there now, the residents will call the cops on you and everything. So, But there's just so much there, and it's all in Lauren Coleman's book, and you can find it online. Christopher Balzano is a good author, and, and Chris Pittman, have you heard of him? His his investigations, he's the godfather of the Hockamock Swamp. He's, and then Aaron's film. And that that will teach you about uh, the Bridgewater Triangle. I think dude, I put some of these in the uh, show notes for yeah, sure. Yeah. You know. Dude, I think I'm up over a hundred pictures. I mean, that's what I got. I think if you want to ask me anything else, that's we haven't funny. talked on other paranormal phenomena, <laughs> but I've been lucky and blessed and I'm curious and, uh, um, I'm willing to believe everything and then discount it. I've become less of a skeptic. And to look at it from 10 different ways. And I like to say, if you believe, I probably don't. If you don't believe, I probably do. I have one more story to ask for you because I'm curious. And I 
I found it in your resume and I, I was like, I'm really curious about that. And we'll end with that. So yeah, we will sure. get one UFO thing in here. <laughs> the question in your resume was, you had some prompts, which was really interesting. Um, have you been to Area 51? I'm yes. curious what the answer to that is. So, Okay. Let me back up. First of all, all right. um, um, my father passed away age right. 93 this September. Oh, yeah. No, it's okay. No, it's he, right. he, oh, he yeah. squeezed it to the right. He visited oh, okay. all seven okay. continents. Oh, he wow. Was, he was um, worked with the Defense Intelligence Agency, Central Intelligence Agency, NASA. Mm. He was an electrical engineer, aeronautical engineer, worked with the Navy and the Air Force. And he used to go out and he worked with NATO. He used to go out to wow. Colorado Springs, right? And he was caught in two button-ups in Colorado Springs, the Strategic Air Command, the command bunker, which mm. is supposedly nuclear proof. And unfortunately, we may be finding that out very shortly. Anyways, but button up is when they, there's a simulated attack. There's a couple of instances oh, wow. where we thought we were being attacked. And he was locked in the moan. But he used to go out to Las Vegas and um, in <laughs> red, red hot. He'd go out to Las Vegas. Of course, he's talking about Nellis, right? Yeah. Test complex. And he'd be there for red hat games. Um I'll, I'll I'll spill some secrets now. So, what they captured. So, Is this gonna get us taken out, John? Um, dude, they can honestly. Talent. He was ta he was talent keyhole. Okay, all that Google satellite imagery. He was yeah. doing that back in the eight seventies and eighties, and he told me one day it would be oh released goodness. public. And then he told me their satellites were so good. Um, that, that I could walk outside with you and they say, John, you're wearing a cap today and you got a green T-shirt on and you're wearing blue shoes. Wow. Um, that's how good the detail was. But now we know with Google Satellite, so you can only imagine what the recce birds, the reconnaissance satellites have there yeah. now, right? Right. And there's geostationary uh, and geosynchronous. I forget which one it is. But the story was he was at Area 51. Okay. Um, area 51 proper, not S4, what Bob Lazar. Yeah, not the Bar I, Bob Lazar area. Yeah. I still, I believe Bob Lazar. Uh, Bob Lazar I do too. Not been I believe him. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I have in, in uh, George Knapp, in uh, the Jeremy Corbell. Jeremy Lockley. Corbell. Yeah, yep. he's done some great stuff. Yeah. Um, so he, my father told me that they figured out that the Soviet recce birds would come over. This is in the eighties. And this okay. is when they were developing uh, the F-117 and the, the, the boat, the bone, the B-1 and the um, B-2. Right. So he was mm -hmm. involved with that and the drone work um, tacit blue, I think it was. Anyways, they'd come over at a certain time. So they pull the hardware into the hangars, wait for the recce bird. Okay. Go over, pull it back out and play. So, wow. um, he would never tell – I know he was there. I mean, he admitted in his deathbed was dying. He was there. But he would never admit to what was there. I just uh, – uh, this is in the 80s. And in the 90s, it exploded. You know, Bob Lazar, 1989. But what has come out of Area 51? Here we are, 2023, aside from drones. So yeah. the theory the theory is they moved all the space hardware to Hill Air Force Base Dugway Proving Grounds in Utah. And I went out there, and that's another story. Um, but um, so, so he was that's there. Awesome. He was there, and when I was there with uh, 
three of my colleagues, we drove in at the time in 1994, we went to Whitesides and Freedom Ridge, which, which at that time was not in Area 51, but now it is claimed by the government. So I can say that I was in Area 51. Do you follow? Oh, wow. I was in an area that was later seized. But our story is um, you don't harass camel dudes. And when I see camel dudes no, getting up on the grill of people, you deserve what happens to you. So we went up to the line and we had beers <laughs> at the alien, little alien, okay? Yeah, so, right. And yeah, you have to do what you got to do if you have a few beers, right? So we're going there buzzed, stupid. Oh, and we goodness. we get to that we had gone the, the night before to Freedom Ridge and Whitesides at dawn. Uh, I had a Polaroid disposable camera. Are you, I, I, I couldn't get anything. You know, it was stupid. Oh, but uh, wow. but this the next I so my friend Larry gets out and he urinates on the deadly force sign. No way. So we get chased out by the camel dudes. The guy driving was a former MP. And as we get out, a mailbox road is called. He breaks an axle and we're like, we're scraping, but the camel dudes gave up, just get GTFO, right? Yeah. Uh, and and uh, he breaks, and we, we had to go back because we broke an axle back to Las Vegas. It took like four hours going oh 15 goodness. miles an hour. And that's my, um, my Area 51 story. And then I made a video and I put, U2's 1993 song "End of the World" is the soundtrack to it, but that was <laughs> my only time um, uh, in those videos that have been shown there. You've seen some of them that came out in the 90s of the ducking craft. There was something there, and if in UFO crashes, uh, as I said, either there's no UFO crashes or there's a multiple. Right. I thought that, that UFOs can crash, but if they're crashed, right, that debris recovered. Uh, the the craft is recovered. If there are, are, are entities in it, there are cadavers. And if there are uh -huh. cadavers, they'd videotape the autopsy. If there are live ones that live, that they would take them captive. And where would they take the hardware? If you look at Roswell, it went to right pat, right right field at that time, in um, in uh, Akron, Ohio. Yeah, Akron. no, it's uh, Dayton, Dayton, Ohio, and. Um, that whole Roswell tale, I believe in the debris field. I think I found the debris field in 1995 when I went out there with a couple of archaeologists. Really? Got, yeah. And I had material for the longest time that I had scooped and brought home and I lost it in the fire. Maybe it's buried in one of my boxes, but I don't want anything to do with it. Um, was but, it weather balloon material or? It, 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 see, that's the whole thing. It, it, the whole story, except yeah. for the chrome, it, 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 it speaks to a weather balloon. It does. And right. But but the debris was real, and Matt wow. Brazel's story was real. The thing that the impact of a craft into the side of the cliffs, I think, is BS. I don't think it happened. Okay, uh, and I don't think there's cadavers and all the people that backdated them into the stories in the '90s that proved out to be be liars. Um, I don't want to go down the litany. Even Glenn Dennis, the mortician, his story has so many holes. Right, uh, you know, drawing with the nurse and everything. So there's just everybody wanted their two minutes on 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 TV. But there are so many liars that came out of that. Um, what's this guy, James? He said he was in the back of his pickup truck and he saw it crash in Boy Scout Mountain. And he had two dueling UFO museums in Roswell. One laid claim to this area, one bought the land this area, and they were both conducting $25 oh. tours. You know what I'm saying? So it, oh, it, yeah, yeah. One, right. I yep. walked away from Roswell and, and, and quit it. And yeah. um, But just closing in Area 51. So I guess I have been in Area 51. That's I have awesome. back. Um, and I just wonder uh, if what's going on out there, if there is anything going on out there right now, because there is an active base. There's no denying it. 
about what goes on out there aside from drone testing because it's everybody loves drones now right oh, that's uh, the thing even the bigfoot community loves their drones john yeah. this is man what what an amazing uh conversation i mean bigfoot to area 51 thank you so much for coming on this has been fantastic thanks for putting up with me because i was just oh, i mean hey that's what i like um is that you know sometimes well i like to ask my guests is there anything that you want to plug or like or are you just kind of hanging out and if people know where you are you know that yeah. or, um it's like kind of like don't text me don't call me don't email me right, um, right there are better researchers and if you have a case and every once in a while somebody tries to i saw this 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 yeah right go 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 talk to somebody else i there are many many researchers you can reach out to don't reach out to me sure but if there's any other podcasters out there i, I can bip a, a for you guys too but thank you so much jeremiah it's been a slice i really appreciate it awesome thank you so much uh for coming on okay great thank you for listening to bigfoot society if you like the show please review and rate it five stars on itunes hit the share button and send this episode to all your friends on social media subscribe to bigfoot society wherever you listen to podcasts it doesn't cost a thing pick up a bigfoot society shirt or enamel pin over on our etsy page and people will tell you all about their bigfoot sightings when you wear it at least that's what people tell us that's what happens if you'd like to become an official member of bigfoot society with a membership card a community of like-minded individuals and extra content each month, then please consider becoming a supporter of the podcast by going to www.patreon.com forward slash the Bigfoot Society. Thanks for listening.